when um, uh, this is about 10 years ago, uh, or maybe nine years ago, uh, uh, two of my friends, uh, Jeff and Tim, uh, we had been talking uh, for months about going and hiking uh, Long's Peak, which, if you don't know, Long's Peak is the tallest 14er on the front range that you can see. Um, and if you look over towards Longmont, that way, you can see it now, especially with its uh, uh, snow-covered peaks, it's beautiful. We've been talking about it forever and ever and never really doing anything with it. Uh, and we decided one day, uh, actually, uh, Jeff or Tim called me up and said, hey, we're going to go tomorrow. You want to go? I'm like, yes, let's do it. So we all piled into Jeff's minivan at the time, and we rolled into Rocky Mountain National Park about midnight. Uh, and we uh, decided to sleep in the van for a couple hours to kind of get some rest before our hike because you have to start in the early 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 morning um, and uh, first and foremost uh, it's wise to make sure you somehow disable the car alarm when you get out of the car in the middle of the night because all the other sleepers in the parking lot who are going to hike are gonna wake up because of you we had, it was kind of a funny story it happened anyways so we get out of it and we start walking along this pathway and it's dark and all you can see is our headlamps and you can see uh, the stars in the sky and it's amazing the mosaic of heavenly lights that are twinkling uh, that you can't see anywhere else in the city and we're walking along the forested area and there's a creek on the side but you can only hear it you can't see it and remember we got around this uh, 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 mountain uh, and we turned and looked and the sun is beginning to rise now, at this particular time of the year, there was a, the sun as it rose looked like this harvesty red and orange thing, and the whole of creation is glowing in this orange sort of glow. I have a picture of it somewhere that I can show you, and all you see is, well, you don't even see, you just see my outline against the backdrop of this amazing thing. And Jeff said in this moment, and the reason why this psalm sticks with me because of what he said, he said this, these words here, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? There's something about being out in the outdoors, something about seeing something of, uh, in nature that is so grand, that is so amazing, that is so spectacular, that not only expands your vision, and it makes you feel really small. If you've ever seen the Grand Canyon or the Tetons, or if you've ever been out in a, a dark place and you've seen the stars, or you've ever just thumbed through a National Geographic for that matter, you recognize just how frail and fragile and tiny we are in comparison to the world, in comparison to the universe. I think the psalmist is, uh, who it says here, a psalm of David, and that doesn't necessarily mean it was David, but we can imagine that maybe David as a shepherd before he was king was sitting out one night on a hill guarding his sheep and staring at the sky and was overcome with wonder and awe. You can imagine him going, this song somehow just finding its way into his heart. He experienced something in this moment and he was so uh, overcome with it that he wrote this tune. Much like all artists who are musicians do, they just get inspiration and suddenly it just comes out. And it probably was something he kept in his heart and his mind until it was able to be written down. So this hymn is, is expressing to us what a life looks like that is in order see god's creation inspires us to contemplate who god is and who we are in comparison to him and our place in his creation 
I love this psalm because it, it talks about, first and foremost, who God is. I love it says here, O Lord, our Lord. It actually says Adonai, Adonai. It actually says the name of God, which you don't say in Hebrew. So most Jews will say Adonai or, or Hamesh, which is the name. It would say, the name our God. It says, how majestic is your name? Now, that's not something you and I ever say to one another. Jake, your name is so amazing. It's really not. It's really interesting. It means ankle biter. So it really has, doesn't hold much of anything. But in, in Scripture, when you hear your name, it has a lot of connotations to it. And because I'm a nerd and a techie person, and a lot of you guys are the same way, you work with computers all the day long, when you have a whole bunch of files that you want to transport to another place, what do you do? You put them on a zip file. You compress them all down into one little thing that you can email to somebody else, and then within inside of it contains all the things about uh, whatever it is you're sending them. And in a way, when you say, how majestic is your name, it's almost like there's a holy zip file full of all of the things about God. And when you see that name of that file or that name, it calls to mind all the things that God is. In Hebrew, a name is really representative of a person. It's almost like his resume. It's a quick reminder of all that a person is and has done. It contains all the things about their reputation, all their vital and material and spiritual aspects, their fame, their honor, etc., etc. A name also makes a person known. If you were to wander over to the thrift store, which is probably one of my favorite stores in the universe because it's full of things that I don't need but are really interesting if you're wandering through and filtering through the, one of the, maybe the home sections and you ran across a stranger, you wouldn't say anything to them. But if you knew their name, you could, inter, you could get a conversation going. Or if you're going over to Starbucks or, or Target and you see one another in the store and you know their name immediately, you can have a relationship with them. In the same way, God has made himself known through his name. God has reached out across the heavens. God has come into uh, reality and he has given us his name. He says, I am who that I am. I am all things. I am God. He's made himself known through his interactions with people, in his word, and especially in Jesus Christ and in his creation. God has made himself known. His name is magnificent. He goes on to say that God's name is majestic. It's like seeing the Milky Way expanded out before you at night. It gives this good picture of this idea of majesty, this rich, infinitely wide and expansive being who God is over and above all things. I love how it says here that he said his glory above the heavens. It's as if he said, no, heaven and all this universe is like a shelf and it cannot contain all that I am, but I am above that. I am on top of that. I am the thing beyond the things that you can see. There was a scientific uh, thing, uh, uh, because I'm such an astronomy dork, that um, it talked about what's beyond the known universe, as if the universe had a wall somewhere that you couldn't get past. What's beyond that? And these scientists people are all just excited about what that possibly could be. I, I don't know what it is, but I like to think that God is beyond that, and he is there. When he says, I set my glory above the heavens. And compare that, though, to us. We don't have a shelf in which to set our glory upon. But we live within the sphere of reality that God has created for us. We might be really frail, but God is majestic and powerful. It also goes on to say that his glory, like I said, is above the heavens. 
He puts it up there so that uh, he seems to say over and above all that you can see in this world, I am more than that. I am so amazing, he says, and so grand that creation cannot contain me. Where creation reflects God's glory, but it's not meant to contain it. And it points to something grand outside of it. His goodness and his glory and his love and his mercy. All of these things radiate that God is. But it also goes on in this passage here to talk to us about God as creator. Look at how many times he says, you have made. He says, you have made the sun and the moon and the stars, the works of your hands, the visible universe and all of its objects. You have made all these animals, cows and platypuses and grasshoppers and little potato bugs. And, uh, you know, you have, you have made uh, Daisy, our dog, who is the reflection of God's glory. Um, that's silly, but it's true. You have to see her to believe it. It's amazing. Uh, you have also made uh, heavenly beings. You've made angels and these uh, amazing things that we cannot even comprehend. But then you also made humanity. And it says that you made humanity just a little bit lower. Not quite God. But a little lower, as if to say, don't get your, you know, don't, don't think you're in the big boy britches right now. You're, you're, you're lower than God. Don't think you're God. You're not. But you're in the image in the sense that you are as royalty to God. You are. You have made humanity, he says. But not only that, God himself has made us with purpose. Whereas other little animals like ants and stuff just kind of go along their way and do their thing and eat their stuff and, and make new little ants and then die. Uh, God gives humanity purpose each one of us has a reason why we are here we are not here just to go to work and come back and 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 uh and and watch tv and go to sleep and eat i mean we do those things but there is something about humanity that god has given us this great purpose i love how it says here and it says you have made him uh you've given him dominion over the works of your hands god has given us a job to do god has given us purpose in this world but the writer seems to, to remind us here that we are frail. I love how he says here in, in like verse 2, it says, Out of the mouths of babies and infants you've established strength. He's simply saying to us here that, that God uses the frailty of humanity in spite of it. He doesn't go and say, well, I'm going to get the biggest and the strongest uh, vehicles to show my glory. No, I'm going to use the frailest things to show them that I'm with them. But humanity is often frail. We are not invincible. COVID has shown us that. But God works within that. What's the point, though? The point of the psalm that David has written, or that somebody uh, who knew David has written, says that this is a hymn of life in proper order. First and foremost, the writer has a posture of praise. When he looks at the heavens, he doesn't just go, man, that's neat. He looks at the heavens and goes, man, our God is great. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. He starts and ends this, this song with a posture of praise. It's an admission that God is above all things, that he's the ultimate power in the universe, and that causes him to stop and consider. Stop and contemplate. It makes him uh, actively consider the nature of God based upon God's own revelation of himself in creation, in his commands, and ultimately in Jesus. The writer has actually cultivated a posture of wonder and praise. That's first and foremost. That is the bedrock of all human life. Posture of praise, but also a posture of humility. The writer accepts his his frailty within God's creation. He knows that at any moment he could be run over by his own sheep. That 
happens in ministry at times too, I would imagine. But there, there's this idea that humanity is not infinite and that there is a frailty with it. There is a weakness to us. There's a finality to us and yet he accepts that. Within, and he, that he's limited in space and in time compared to God. He's not the center of the universe. God is. He's lower than God. He is a created being. And while it's not like this, this humility that is self-effacing or, or degrading of oneself and saying, oh, woe to me, and walking around, you know, with a, like in the Holy Grail where those guys are hitting themselves in the head with those boards after saying a prayer, that's not the kind of humility we're talking about here. We're talking about just proper posture in light of God's reality, a proper understanding of who we are compared to God. But lastly, not only is this a posture of praise in this psalm and a posture of humility, but it is also a posture of, of participation with God. Notice here that he says that God has given us things to do and that we participate with God in our vocation with him. Vocation, first and foremost, is God's image bearers. Each one of you is an image of God. You all have in a sense, royal blood within you. You all have this infinite value that God has placed upon you. Those that God knows and cares for, those whom for he pays attention to. I mean, if any verse that you get out of this particular passage, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what, is, what are humans that you are mindful of us, the son of people that you care for us, Think of that for a moment. God in his infiniteness, above and beyond all things, the power above all powers, knows what you had for breakfast. Think of that. In your darkest of darkest places, in your car or in the places that you think nobody can see you, God himself is there in the midst with you. I love how that Jesus is called God with us. And by his Holy Spirit, he is with us at all times. Our first and, foremost, for, first and foremost vocation in this world is to be image bearers. Those who walk around as those God loves and those that he uses to witness to his active presence in the world, we are God's image bearers. That is your first job. But secondly, vocation as participation with God and whatever he's given you as gifts. Some of us are are fantastic homemakers. Some of us are fantastic social workers. Some of us are amazing with numbers uh, and, and work in finance. Some of us are amazing at technologies. Some of us are amazing child caretaker or caretaker people. You know, these are vocations that God has given us to participate, to care for his world. When Adam and Eve were first created, the first thing he did, other than saying, well, she's for you because you need help, clearly. Uh, and... Um, <laughs> but then go take care of all the stuff I've made. And God in his infinite wisdom, for some reason, has allowed us frail people to be part of taking care of this world. Whether it's making sure that our, 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 our natural lands are well cared for, or if it's making sure that, that you know, human beings out there have what they need. Either way, we get to participate with God. And this passage of this morning, this hymn, is a hymn of life in proper order. Praise, humility, participation. So, how do we respond? Well, I think it's clear that the, the psalmist here tells us uh, and bookends the, our response. Number one is, first and foremost, is integrate worship into everything. 
If God has created us for his purposes and God has created us to recognize our own humility and we get to recognize that God is in everything and that he is above all things and that all the things he's created gives us wonder, we ought to integrate worship into everyday life. Now, I don't mean that we'd turn on, you know, K-Love or, or turn on your favorite psalm or whatever it is and, and bop around the house doing that. Sure, that's fine. But I think it's even more basic than that. Where David is sitting on the hillside watching the stars at night and immediately is, in, is impacted by God's creation. And his first thought is, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Simple as that. It doesn't have to be long and drawn out. It's just a quick admission. Oh my gosh, God, you're amazing. Thank you, for, thank you for the people who invented nachos. I mean, that's amazing, God. Thank you for that. Thank you for shoes. Thank you for, you know, uh, for good razors that you know, shave your face or whatever it is. I mean, it's the idea that we recognize God, God's handiwork in everything and our, our posture becomes one of praise. So when you see something amazing, like when you go out Arapaho Road uh, and you're going west on Arapaho as you come towards Parker Road and you see the front range and this snowy amazingness, oh my gosh, God, thank you for mountains. Thank you that we don't live in Iowa. Hopefully nobody in Iowa will hear this message. <laughs> in times of awe and wonder, let's praise God. Just quick stuff, guys. In times of hard work, when we're out there sweating our, uh, uh, our brains out trying to, you know, till the land in our backyards to, to make strawberries or whatever it is that we're doing, or in times of when we're working really hard in the tech field trying to make sure that things work correctly, or whatever it is that we do as a vocation, stop and pause and go, God, thank you for allowing me to have this job. Thank you for the, for the ability to have income. Thank you for the challenge that is before me, though it is something I'm going to complain about later. Thank you for this in this moment. God, thank you for allowing me to participate in the care of this world. But also in moments of quietude. There's something about this ability that when God stops the world, in a sense, in your home, in your quiet place, just as a moment to say, God, thank you for the rest that I'm experiencing right now. You have created moments of silence. Thank you for that. And in moments of community, like we share with one another here. God, thank you for these great people. Thank you for all of their, their quirks and, and, and things. And thank you that they love me for who I am and I love them for who they are. God, thank you for those things. Thank you for our families, though they are irritating at best at times. Sometimes they just drive us crazy. But God, you have not left us alone. Thank you. You see, we can integrate worship into every little bit of our being. And the psalm is just one of those things that can help us remind us to worship God in everything. So your mission, should you choose to accept it, are two things. One, pray the psalm once a day. This week, as you get up in the morning, or whenever time you, you choose to, to, to pray and to spend time with God, make this psalm something you do this week. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's only eight, there's only nine verses. It's pretty simple. So pray this. But secondly, find something this week and stop and pause and worship God for it. Whether it be the creation, whether it be your work, whether it be uh, you know, community, whether it be your family members, whether it just be something simple. Find a moment to share, uh, to worship God. Amen.